0: Hey gang, welcome to Dateline Louisiana, a provocative look at the deepest of the deep southern states. Thoughts that are informative, candid, humorous, and sometimes controversial about life in one of the most interesting and rabble-rousing states in the nation. Here are your hosts, Anna Gray and Jim Brown. Hey, welcome to Dateline Louisiana. Uh, your uh, Our website is DatelineLouisiana.com. We talk about interesting issues affecting Louisiana and some things that thinks our state special, some things that make our state controversial, and some states that kind of make you roll your eyes when you look at the bottom line. Isn't that right, Rhonda Gray?
1: That's right. That's right. Anything that you want to know about Louisiana, we're here to talk about.
0: Well, we're in uh, we're in the presidential year, and uh, this is not directly a Louisiana issue. I'll tell you that, the one that is, though. Uh, I think Louisiana legislature and governors made a huge mistake because Louisiana is one of only two states in the country that had elections that were in November of this year. Two months ago, we we had elections. Why didn't we put on the ballot, besides everything else, a presidential primary wouldn't be binding for, for anything like that. It would be a popularity contest, nothing to prohibit us doing so. And knowing that uh, there's, that's it's going to be the first reflection of how people think you'd have the candidates down here. You'd have the press down here. They'd be spending on television. They just couldn't ignore it. They couldn't walk away. And I think we missed a great opportunity because it's for free shot, wouldn't cost us anything, you see, Rana, because we have the election anyway, and it would be kind of a precursor. It would be uh, an introduction to the whole presidential primary system. If I were governor, I'd sure put that in the ballot. It's free, doesn't cost us a thing, and we might not get... Uh, you know, $200 million spent down here, but we darn well get 50 to $75 million spent. They'd be buying TV ads. There'd be some appearances by some of the candidates and it would shake things up a little bit. We just don't think like that though. You know, we're very parochial and we don't see the opportunity to seize the chance to do something big like that. I think it was a huge mistake.
1: I'm surprised that the the... The Iowa's and New Hampshire's are able to keep such a tight grip on this. Four years ago, I went to the Iowa caucuses. I'd always wanted to go and see how they ran. And the people there, everywhere you went, you go to these little small towns, you go in a library, and here's all the major, not all of them, you go to the ones you want to meet, but here's major candidates, United States senators and major party candidates in these little settings with 20 to 40 people where you get to ask your questions. They get to meet them. And the people in Iowa just think it's the most special thing that their state could ever have, you know, getting these people, and you actually get to meet them. And you're right. It's a huge boost to the economy. You've got all the press coming there, all the national press following them. The candidates going to every potluck dinner they can get themselves invited to, It's very prestigious. And you're right, Louisiana could do it, but why hasn't someone else uh, taken this on? They they just seem to hold that grip that we've got to be the first.
0: Well, I think the parties have set the tone of who gets to go first. Uh, It used to be that after New Hampshire, I don't know what it was, but then the Democrats said, "No, we're going to South, South Carolina. Carolina, right?" Because that that's where Joe Biden emerged as the front runner, and then really made his campaign for president. He want, doesn't want to take any chances, so he wants to get back to South Carolina to get that huge boost again. Uh, but you're right. But so the party's control who can actually pick the delegates i don't want want to infer that louisiana could pick delegates Use it would be popular- a popularity contest but sure, hey knowing it's going to be it's going to be covered by the press and national news you'd want to get in there and not not get left completely out of it so i just think that's a big mistake now how was the weather 4 years ago when you were in iowa obviously it massive snowstorm it this was year. it was
1: a lot of snow a lot of ice it did not keep people from going out. It was definitely below freezing. Uh, we joke, a friend of mine and I that went, that the headlights on the car iced over. We thought the lights had gone out, and you get out and there's two inches of ice over them. That That's what's obscuring the light. Being from the south, we never had driven in that sort of weather. But it very cold, very, very cold. But people went out. Now, this time, four years later it was beyond cold. I mean, it was 20 below zero, wind chill, ridiculous. And they had such an incredibly low turnout. But they still had weeks and weeks of candidates campaigning there. Um, Obviously not Trump. He didn't feel the need to go into Iowa that much, as strong as he was there. But even if the caucus night ends up being um, a, a cold night for people to come out, you know and i think also their turnout was a result of not having a really competitive race you're going to go out in that kind of weather when i saw lots of people interviewed on tv saying i'm not for him but he's going to get it and so i don't i think i'll just stay home so that was another deterrent weather and that too and also i think the caucus environment is being dominated by these extremes especially in the republican arena and I think that people supporting other candidates were out there going to things but then you're going to go in a gym and sit in the bleachers in a gym and you're going to be screamed at by people I mean I went to the Iowa caucuses and I went to the Nevada caucuses and it's just a it's a different environment than going in a voting booth and pressing a button for who your preference is you gotta uh, yeah. be, you gotta be ready to argue. A
0: lot of people <laughs> don't realize that it's uh, it's open discussion, and there's uh, lots of talk uh, uh, that that goes back and forth. Now, I think, how do you vote when it comes time to vote? Do you go up to a table and cast your ballot, or how do you do that?
1: They do have tables to cast your ballot, but you, we, the ones we went to, you were sitting in bleachers, and you're sitting in little groups, and the the designated speakers for the candidates were up there going, you know, no, you should vote for this person because one, two, three. And it would go on. The other one would argue. And while this is going on, people would get up and move to another little group. Well, I'm going to go sit with these people now. And so you would see live results of if people were being persuaded to move to their candidate or, you know, he can't win. And this is why this. Okay, well, we're going to go sit over here. So it's bizarre. But I felt like I should see it once in my life.
0: <laughs> well, you mentioned how cold it was this time. as a 14 percent turnout in Iowa. Now, I've got a grandson. He lives in New York City. Uh, his dad has been active in Republican politics, uh, not a Trump supporter. And uh, so his son, my 14-year-old grandson, had met uh, Governor Nikki Haley of South Carolina, was taken by her. And wanted to volunteer. So he went to Iowa. This is my 14-year-old grandson. He called me when he was up there having breakfast on caucus day. I said, what's the weather like up there, Asher? He said, uh, my grandkids call me J.B., he said, JB, he said, it was 30 degrees below zero yesterday, but today it's warmed up. It's only 14 below today. It's really <laughs> warmed up for us. So, but he was out there dressed. He said he bought special clothes to stay warm, and he was there in the caucus uh, for Haley. Whether you're for Nikki Haley or not, that's not my point. Uh, my point is, you got a 14 year old who's out stumping for a candidate. Isn't that refreshing in this day and age that most kids can't get their nose out of their iPhone or out of their Xbox and could care less about politics. So uh, a shout out to grandson Asher that had the gumption to go out and support a candidate. But uh, as you said, it was uh, uh, 14%. And, uh, uh, and and now we go on to other primaries uh, here. and. Trump is just dominating this whole thing, Rana, and uh, uh, in the Republican nomination. I don't—do you see any path at all outside of getting several convictions and, you know, he's going to appeal it. They're not going to take the president to jail uh, after—if he is convicted of one of the crimes. Do you see any path where Trump does not get the nomination
1: right now? I don't right now. Um, you know, we can have another whole conversation about these states that are saying he's not qualified to be on the ballot. But I, I, he's got a, um, a strong uh, group of support, I think, on the U.S. Supreme Court that will make sure he's on the ballot. And if he's on the ballots, then I, I think he's the nominee. I don't see any reason for Nikki Haley or DeSantis to drop out anytime soon. I think it's February when the court's going to make a decision on that. So she certainly needs, they need to run through South Carolina. Um, But uh, no, I I think he's lining up. It's incredible, but I think he's lining up to be the nominee in the Republican Party.
0: And we'll talk about that later on. But, you know, Nikki Haley said she's got, she wants to get it down to a two-person race. And she's right. I think she, it's down to a two-person race. It's Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Right. Those are the two people, <laughs> and it's not going to include her. Now, she was dancing a little bit with, and not really criticizing uh, the president that much. Uh, I read in the Washington Post this morning that she's being pushed uh, uh, very strongly to uh, start criticizing Trump. I guess what she's dancing with is if she goes too strong— and Trump gets the nomination, uh, if she doesn't go too strong, maybe there's still grounds for her to be on the ticket as a vice presidential candidate. But uh, knowing Trump, I I don't think he'll take her. I think he'll look at one of the other real loyal folks who've been out there, probably a woman. I think that makes sense for him. And he's got a cadre of women who some governors and others who want to be governors who've supported him that— uh, could be in line for something like that, but
1: uh, I've thought about that. I I think she'd jump at the chance to be the VP on the ticket because she'd probably be thinking if any of this conviction plays out on president. So even though she is taking him on, I think she'd still take the the uh, spot if he offered it to her. But I kind of feel like you do. She's ramping up. He's ramping up a little bit. His criticism of her which he also held off on he's teasing that he's already made a pick you've got people like christy Nome, and you've got elise stefanik who was dying to be on his vice presidential ticket and will just be totally subservient to him
0: stefanik is a congressman and from new no, york miss,
1: new it, york's the governor of south dakota
0: right uh, mm-hmm. so you got a governor and a congressman both vying mm-hmm. for the spot and so uh well, I'll tell you, uh, if anybody's a Teflon candidate who can weather any type of attack, it's Donald Trump, and uh, uh, it's hard to put a, a, a finger on it. But uh, uh, Ron, I've I, I thought a good bit about this, and and uh, you know, I think Trump plays into uh, something that we talked about on earlier show. All the money is coming into politics for the candidates. Are no longer locally engaged. People just don't feel like they have a voice, they have anyone who will listen to them. It used to be, you know, when I was a, a legislator uh, up in uh, North Louisiana, I mean, people knew me wherever I'd go. I'd go into uh, uh, stores, they knew me by name, I knew them by first name. I'd sit there and have coffee all over my district. And, and and there would be a lot of complaining and they felt like they had a voice in complaining to me. And I found that true with all the local officials back then. Uh, Edwin Edwards, like him or love him, love him, or rather love him or hate him, was one of the most personal, engaging politicians who and he told me one time, I says, Boy, you sure do travel a lot. Every weekend you're gone to some festival or fair given space, he says Jimmy says most people in their lives never ever see a governor, hear a governor, shake the governor's hand. I think that's a very important role. It makes them feel good about their state. It gives them a little momentum in their lives. So I think that's a very important job I have as being governor. And I think he was right. Well, you don't have any of that today. You see, it's all raising money and people don't know the politicians. They see him on TV. Then they hear the worst about a handful that is attributed to all of them. And Trump plays into that. He plays into that. Uh, and every time he gets attacked, uh, he's, he's been very crafty and very ingenious, quite frankly, in playing the card of, of how he's being persecuted. Fortunately for him, There's a Democrat uh, uh, who has uh, Congress, and the Democrats control uh, the House of Representatives. They have the Justice Department, so he plays the fact that the Democrats are after him, that it's all political. That was the whole flow of this uh, saying that the election was stolen from him. The Democrats stole it from him. And I'll tell you, I saw a poll that six of ten Republican voters— uh, are we completely convinced the election was stolen and that they are for him, even if he gets convicted of any crime whatsoever? I think he's done a masterful job of playing into that whole motive of, uh, they're after me, they're after me.
1: Yes, uh, the, the Republicans control the House, so they're not, it's, it's I mean, get, the Senate, yeah, the Senate. It's getting razor thin though, there with that control, and it's causing everybody to have to work together to get anything passed, which is kind of unusual in the house and all. But I think you're right. He has stumbled into this uh, thing that's very uh, popular with him personally, I think. And that is retribution against your enemies. You know, that you don't take things anymore that you don't like, that you fight back and and, and you don't let people disrespect you. And he's tapped into a feeling in the country among people who feel that way, who feel like they haven't gotten a break. They haven't had people looking out for them. They've been uh, persecuted in some way or something. And he's managed to tap into that, even though he's far from led the life of those people. But they see, well, he's been successful. He's made a lot of money. He's going to champion us. He's going to look out for us. And I think the whole I mean, I think he wants revenge, and I think his followers want revenge, and that is a huge motivating factor in turning out people to vote. Now, I also happen to think the hardcore Republican Party support has shrunk. I mean, I don't know why someone, a Republican, did not vote for him four years ago, but with everything that's happened, suddenly decides he's their guy. So I think growing his vote from four years ago, holding on to it's no problem. Growing it is where I think his challenge is.
0: Well, of course, one of the things going for him is the weakness of the current president. The polls show that Joe Biden is down around 34 percent in his popularity, one of the lowest numbers of any presidents in history. Plus, there's some stumbling issues. Uh, He looks weak on foreign policy, you know, these... uh, Hooties over in the in the Red Sea and uh, along the the uh, Gulf over there are lobbing missiles, and when they lob one, we kind of lob one. But we're we're kind of like we're uh, letting them beat up on us pretty well. We look weak. Uh, this whole Israeli situation is, you know, the whole country was behind Israel, and and uh, uh, the president has been very supportive of Israel. But the pendulum has swung dramatically over the continuing killing of the—you you know, you turn on TV and see these babies and these women, their bodies, and it's just horrible what you see. And everyone agrees, oh, what the Hamas did was terrible. Biden's kind of wishy-washy there. And if he's for Israel, now he's kind of wishy-washy. And you've either got to be for or against in terms of the politics in this country. Uh, there's been so many issues in Congress— uh, student aid, for example, forgiving these student loans uh the the uh uh the rural of the country folks who work hard and struggling to pay their bills and pay a car note says now he's forgiven all these loans uh of these kids. I'm not for that, so a lot of those issues that Biden has pushed are not supportive on the national level, so my point to you is Trump may not have quite the broadening support. But one thing he's got, he has is that they're neutral right now between Trump and Biden. They don't like either one of them. They wish there was a third party candidate to vote for. And that may be uh, difficult for Biden too. If, if uh, uh, the senator from West Virginia, Joe Uh, Manchin. Joe Manchin says he may run as a third party candidate. He's flirting with that. Robert Kennedy uh, gets a pretty good vote just because of his name. If he pulls off two or three percent, uh, if he pulls off one and a half percent, uh, then and it comes from Biden, then Trump would have won the election last time around. So uh, uh, in any event, uh, there's all this mix of uncertainty that plays into to the, the support or either for or against both of them, and I think it gives Trump an advantage. Now, presidential elections a long way from being over. Uh, Joe Biden does not have to face 91 criminal counts right. in four different jurisdictions that's going to be pounding him week after week after week. That's got to take a toll. So far, he's been able to weather it, but they're just a question of, how far how far do you dangle when you have this kind of thing happening so obviously we're not going to decide this on this show we're going to be talking about this for a long time to come
1: i agree i'm reading liz cheney's book now which uh just when you thought you've heard everything about the these goings on behind the scenes i feel like everything's been dragged out and it's it's pretty fascinating to read hers which is where I think he's... I mean, she was 90% voting record with him and...
0: She was a congressman sp- for Wyoming. from Wyoming. their father was vice president.
1: Hardcore Trump supporters, yeah. you know, and, and the vitriol between the two families now is just amazing. But I think she's got an issue that we're going to find out who cares about, and that is... The future of the democracy, the future of the republic. We're gonna find out if people care about that or not. Because I think that's what really it comes down to in this race. He's already tipped his hand of what he would do and some of the people, some of the moves he makes. He doesn't doesn't play any secrets about it, you know, how he would move to consolidate power. So I think it's gonna come down to if people want that strong man, they don't care what he does morally or ethically they just want that tough guy or if they want this, you know, government status quo that kind of th- get things get done and some people win here and then another group wins here. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what Americans care about now because it's changed a lot.
0: Well, the voting line right now would have to be for Trump because uh, he has the strong base of uh, those who like the fact that he says we're going to Be tough, and I'm going to do it my way versus wishy-washy Joe. But we've got, uh, well, here we've got eight months to go, and and you know, politics two weeks or three weeks is a lifetime in politics. And you can look at uh, past candidates like Ronald Reagan and a number of others who were way behind at this stage and went on to win so uh uh no I wouldn't bet on it I, I don't think anyone can project, but uh it's you know it's a question of who you hold your nose and vote for, quite frankly, mm-hmm. especially
1: if you're a younger voter just getting into voting in the last four years and you're represented by two older candidates that you feel are both of them are out of touch, you know where maybe the eighteen year olds don't vote, but by the time you get in your early twenties, you know you're starting to get engaged and all and where do you go if you think these two are out of touch
0: we will be talking about it a lot more hey thanks for listening folks today our show's dateline louisiana our website is uh, uh if you go to www.datelinelouisiana.com you can see all of our past shows we've got over a year of past shows right there you can listen to and if you want to email us with show suggestions we'd love to hear from you our web's rather our uh, email address is shuey H-U-E-Y, like Huey Long, at DatelineLouisiana.com. Ronna, take care. You have a good week, and we'll talk to our listeners again next week, okay? Sounds good. And thanks to uh, uh, producer Chris O'Loughlin, who produced our show today. And uh, I'm Jim Brown here with Ronna Gray. We'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to Dateline Louisiana with Jim Brown and Ronna Gray. To
0: subscribe to this podcast or contact Gemma Rana, visit datelinelouisiana.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for more news and reflections from the Bayou State.